You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 239 of Podcateers. We are super excited about this episode because it's the beginning of something new this year. Uh, I just want to say thanks to the team for the work that's been going on behind the scenes to make this happen and all of the work that's coming, but we think that you're going to like what we plan on bringing you. Uh, Please let us know your thoughts or uh, if you have any suggestions on what you'd like to hear. Also, in this episode, we talk about some of the comments that Bob Iger made about intellectual properties making their way into the park. We also talk about John Lasseter's new role and discuss some of the questions that arise from his next step. Remember that if you'd like to join the conversation, you can leave us a comment on the blog post for this episode over at podcateers.com slash 239 or by connecting with us on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. I can't continue without offering our thanks and a huge shout out to the members of the FGP squad for their help and support in helping make these episodes possible via their contributions on Patreon. For more info on how you can become one of our podcast fairy godparents, head on over to podcateers.com FGP. The next time you need to purchase something on Amazon, you can help us out tremendously by starting off at podcateers.com Amazon. On that page, you'll find a huge Amazon button that will take you to Amazon using our special link, and anything you buy may earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon for mentioning them on this podcast. To everyone that's taking a few extra seconds to help us out, thank you for that support. Again, if you have any thoughts on what we're going to be bringing you going forward, let us know in the comments, let us know on any of the social networks. This is episode 239 of Podcateers. All right. Yay. It's chilly. It is. It's a little chilly. It's pretty nice today, though. We're a little closer to the mountains, so we're a little closer to the actual snow, as little as there is Mm -hmm. here in California. Mm-hmm. So our our chill factor is just slightly higher than it is in your neck of the woods. That makes sense. Did it rain where you are <clears throat> yesterday? Oh, very heavily. Yeah. Very it heavily. It pretty good here, too. Yeah. And it's supposed to rain the rest of the week, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it stopped raining halfway through yesterday and turned into a nice day, and I got to have my first 2019 Disneyland day. Yay. Nice. I was so How was excited. That? It was great. It was a lot of fun. There was no crowds. So I I didn't even hardly ride anything. I just walked around and soaked it up. It was great. That's See, cool. I told you the yeah. rain would just get them, you know, they won't be there. Yeah. Yeah. You said it last <laughs> time. That's so true. That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the benefits of living so close to the parks, right? You have the mm-hmm. opportunity to just kind of jump in whenever is best and those are some of the best times because people are still staying away, contemplating whether or not it's going to continue raining. Yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome, dude. I'm glad you had a chance yep. to go. I'm still looking forward to my first Disney trip of 2019. <laughs> I haven't had the opportunity to go. It's coming. I'm, I'm hoping Good. that next weekend uh, we'll get a chance to get together and head over to Ballast Point since it's officially going to open this week. 
Oh, so I'm yeah. pretty psyched about that. I saw some stuff that they were doing. It, it looks nice, man. I saw a bunch of pictures from the location, and I'm super psyched mm-hmm. to go in there. Cool. You know, not, I mean, it's look, it's not my favorite beer, but <laughs> <laughs> that being said, uh, it is very tasty. They do have some amazing flavors. Uh, overall, it's Disney's first brewery at Downtown Disney. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's a it's a big step for just kind of reinvigorating that area. So expect to not get a seat for at least three weeks. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now it's going to be right, basically right next door to the, what is it, Black Tap, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is that a brewery space... as well or yeah. is that just a bar? It's a little of both. I mean, okay. they have, I think it... they do make their own stuff, but it's primarily a restaurant. Okay. So it's a little micro. Okay. Okay. I just, I felt like they were putting the same exact thing next door to each other. Like, I thought that was a little weird. That's all. Well, I mean, it's one of the less questionable things, right? I mean, it's yeah. like if they took out the Wetzel's pretzels and put in, like, a, another ice cream shop right next to Salt and Straw. Oh. You know? Like, <laughs> it's just a little weird. Like, two in a row. Nah, but, I, I mean, that. I'm I'm going to try them both. I can't wait to try them both. So. Oh, I'm right there with I'm ex- you. I'm excited. All totally the new there. stuff I'm excited about. Yeah, totally there with you. Are you excited about the purple stuff coming to the parks? I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, wait. Are we talking about this like new purple iridescent like uh-huh. that's taken the over for the rose purple gold? Stuff. Potion purple, yeah. Potion purple. I saw a bunch of that, and I didn't know what it was, but I think it looks kind of cool. I mean, I, I think we're kind of done with rose gold at this point, so Agreed. it's nice to see something new. <laughs> I thought it was cool. I like purple. I think that's the point, right? They're trying to push this potion purple over Mm -hmm. the rose gold and make it the 2019 color of choice. I dig it. It's pretty, but I don't want to get burned out by it. That's the only thing. It's a beautiful color. You will. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Give it six weeks. They'll bring us way too much of it, but then they'll come up with another color in three years. Give it it six weeks. You'll be super... uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you'll, You'll have your fix by then. But think about it. It's a it's a color that's got a ton of haunted mansion potential. So we could see some neat like purpley haunted mansion stuff in that sparkle. Yeah. True. And who knows? That might be a format. part of why they chose purple this year, considering it is the mm-hmm. anniversary of the mansion. Yeah. So that it makes sense. True. Makes sense. They're I gonna agree. deck out Leota in some velvety purple. <laughs> ah. It was so hard to go there and see the mansion behind walls again. It's just like, oh, I want to. Uh, it's just not fair. <laughs> you Don't know worry. What? It'll be back before you know it. I didn't I get to write Small World at all. What? Yeah. If it makes you feel oh, any better, man. neither did I. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, sometimes there's those attractions that you just don't get a chance to do and sometimes we take it for granted because we are annual pass holders you know there mm-hmm. there's a little of column a a little of column b with the complaining getting to go too much not getting to go enough and there's always those debates and it's just gonna happen i mean there's mm-hmm. times that i go to the park and don't get a chance to write anything there's times that i go and i write six or seven things and Sometimes during the holiday season, you know, like I've said, if I get a chance to go at least once, I'm happy. I had a chance to go and we got a chance to see the fireworks. I had my uh, my moment, you know, where all the feels just kind of consumed me in the (laughs) middle of Main Street. And uh, in case you guys need your fix, that video is up on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash podcateers. Check it out. Believe in holiday magic fireworks. That's what you'd be searching for. 
And yeah, I'm just I'm looking forward to the next show that's coming up. I think this the end of this week is when we start kicking off the festivities for Mickey. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a good thing, man. I'm looking forward they to got all a, new stuff. a lot of cool uh, banners and artwork for Mickey and all of his pals, like all over downtown Disney and in the Esplanade now. So that's uh, cool. They're gearing up for it. They're definitely gearing up. It's you know, it's all the new style Mickey from the new Mickey shorts. Yeah, like he's everywhere in downtown Disney right now. It's That's really cool. cool. I love it. I love it. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we have a pretty full episode of stuff to talk about today, and this episode is, I don't know, it's really special because it's the beginning of something that I think we've been working on for a really, really long time. And just to give you a little insight, later on in the episode, we're going to kick off our Tomorrowland series. What that means is that over the course of the podcast's existence, one of the things that we've really enjoyed doing is telling stories. And whether we're telling stories to each other about things that happen to us in the parks or telling you stories about, you know, things that we do and things that we experience. One of the most important stories that I think we can share with all of you is some of the knowledge that we've gained about the attractions, the park itself, the people behind it. That's the type of story that we love to hear. And after some feedback from some of you and a lot of work on our part, we want to be able to share all of that with you too. We love being storytellers. What we're kicking off with this episode is a monthly series. You know, this month it's going to be Tomorrowland. Next month it'll be something else. And the way that it'll be structured is the second half of the episode will contain a little bit of historical information, whether it's for the attraction, a land, a person, regarding whatever our topic for the month is. And at the end of the month, we're going to have one of the types of episodes that we absolutely enjoy to bring you. And those are the Armchair Imagineering episodes. Some of the most fun that we've had on the podcast over the last several years is when we get a chance to sit down and just design our own version of the park or design our own version of the land or redesign an attraction. And those are also some of the ones that you guys have told us you enjoy the most too. So we want to make sure that we you know, provide a lot more of those over the course of the year. So uh, that's going to be coming up. We're super excited about just kicking this off and just making this a part of every episode going forward. I want to thank the team for all of the work they've put into this. I know, Gavin, you've invested a lot of time in this, so I just want to publicly say thank you for all of the work. <laughs> you've really helped you know, in putting all of this together. Yep. My hat's of off course, to you. Of course. I, I'm excited about you know what we're planning for the year and just to be able to, you know, do what we want to do and really take our listeners and our friends on a stroll through the parks and through Disney history in general and just get to revel in it and nerd out about it and just have fun every week. I, I, it's, it's so exciting. So I can't wait. Yeah, really looking forward to everything that's coming. So uh, we'll kick that off soon. But before we get into any of that, I wanted to have a, a brief discussion because it's something that we've brought up on the podcast before. And it's the idea of 
intellectual properties kind of taking over the parks and whether or not we're ever going to see something that's themed on or general theming in an area. The reason we're bringing this up is because uh, I would say about a week or so ago, Bob Iger uh, had an interview with Barron's. In that interview, they asked him a question. You're putting a lot of money into the parks. How confident are you about the return there? And I'm going to try to read this with no inflection because I don't want people to think I'm like, you know, like leading the the witness or anything. So I'm going to try to read this with no inflection. Okay, so here we go. His answer was, the acquisitions of these brands and the creation of intellectual property behind them have a tremendous impact on growing our returns at the parks. When you have Star Wars to market at the parks, Avatar is a good example. Cars Land, we're building a frozen land in Hong Kong, Tokyo, and Paris parks. The interest among the potential audience is higher. It's not like I'm going to ride some nondescript coaster somewhere that maybe is themed like India or whatever. Now you're going to Arendelle and you're going to experience Frozen with Anna and Elsa, or you're going to fly a Banshee into Pandora. Go to Cars Land. We built Radiator Springs. You're with the characters in that town. Now, what brought on the controversy during that interview is Bob Iger's quote on, I'm going to write some nondescript coaster somewhere, but maybe it's themed like India or whatever. And instantly, people began to think that he was taking a stab at Expedition Everest. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get your thoughts on, one, what you guys thought about the tweet, and then what you guys thought of what followed, because I have a little bit of follow-up on the tweet as well. Well, immediately, when uh, we first talked about this, and you read that out loud, I'm like, whoa, I know exactly what he's talking about. That's in the Animal Kingdom. That's Expedition Everest. Um, it's not a just a whatever ride. It's actually pretty sweet and it does go with the land itself in the park. That's by Disney. So I was kind of like, whoa, my, of course, first impression is like, so what's going on? But I'm just curious as to what he meant. I mean, I'm sure there's a reason why he said that, but it, it really threw me off. It's, it's just weird. I think, uh, you know, Bob Iger is a businessman, first and foremost, and he's a very talented and successful businessman and has done great things for the Walt Disney Company. And he knows that, you know, the the difference in value of something that's non-IP based, like Expedition Everest, and something that is IP based, like the new Guardians of the Galaxy coaster that's going into Epcot, there's a difference in how many people it's specifically going to draw to that park, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, when they built that whole area around Expedition Everest and, and put that attraction into the park, they might have seen a little uptick in visitors. But when they opened Pandora, the world of Avatar, that park became a must-visit park, you know? And that's because... It's a world that people wanted to go into and explore because they knew it from the films, right? Yeah. And I think that's the key. And I've said it before. I lament the fact that we won't see non-IP attractions come to the parks anymore. And I hope that they don't try to put an IP blanket over 
some of the existing classic attractions. You know, I already have a problem with Nightmare taking five months of Mansion away. And, you know, my fear is that all of a sudden they're going to bring characters into Big Thunder and Matterhorn and Space Mountain where they don't belong. You know, those are attractions that stand on their own two feet. They don't need anything. But a lot of that is because of what Disneyland is and the history and the icons that they've become. I just think that moving forward, what he's saying is that they're not going to be doing that anymore. They're going to base everything on IPs. And I think it's more true with Disney World and a lot of the other international parks and even California Adventure than it is specifically for Disneyland. Because land has so many things that so many people truly feel are untouchable that if they messed with them too much, then there could be problems, right? Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. I get where he's coming from. I do, you know, I wish there was a different future for new attractions, you know, that didn't have to be IP-based. But that's the reality. And, you know, the ones that are in the pipeline already, we're excited about. Like, who isn't excited about the Mickey Mouse attraction? You know? Yeah. And if it was just a random bunch of, you know, new characters or random scenes that didn't have anything to do with Mickey Mouse, we wouldn't be excited about it, right? It's yeah. the fact that it's Mickey Mouse that we're excited about. So, I don't know. It, I, I get it. And the way he said it was weird, though, it seemed to lack the usual tact that yeah. Bob yeah. Iger is known for. And I can see how it ruffled some feathers or, you know, rattled some earrings hanging yeah. from a certain... <laughs> Big earring filled ear. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, shortly after Bob Iger's tweet, Joe Rohde, who was the lead Imagineer of Animal Kingdom, had posted on his Instagram on his Instagram account. I mean, he goes on to talk about uh, how they developed it, how they got the distinct uh, look of the area, and how they developed it. And it contradicts the nondescript mm-hmm. part that Bob Iger was talking about. And I think you kind of hit it on the nose, Gavin. That I think. Bob Iger may have been kind of just shooting at the hip with what he was saying, and he didn't realize that, you know, in trying to talk about these IP-based attractions that are coming to the parks, that there is a a loyal fan base for all of these other attractions that are non-IP-based, you know, just like the Haunted Mansion. Like, look at how many people lost it when Captain Jack Sparrow made it into Pirates of the Caribbean, you know? And to this day... I will tell you, I still don't feel he adds anything to the attraction. Oh, yeah. You know, right. I get he's there because, you know, of the pirate franchise and everything, but he's not even part of the pirate franchise anymore. Oh, so yeah. Are we going to lose him in the attraction? You know, who's to say? But I've never been a proponent of having Johnny Depp <clears throat> in there. I, it was kind of cool to see him at first, but if it was one of those like overlay things, yeah, maybe. But overall, I, I think the redhead. You know, being replaced with Red the Pirate has more to do with the story than Captain Jack Sparrow does. You know, at least the story that exists there. And mm-hmm. look how many people lost it when Red the Pirate made it into the attraction. So there are a lot of fans that are super loyal, you know, to these attractions. And there are loyalists that want to see people's imagination. Right. And I think. What that calls to is just our childhoods. 
you know, when you were outside in your backyard, you know, you know, playing that you were on an adventure and that you were climbing trees. And it's a manifestation of our childhood imaginations. Not that these IP based attractions aren't. I think a lot of them are super cool. But having uh, a, a place where it simulates being in the French Quarter, you know, stuff like that, it, it's intriguing. You know, it, it's yeah. the only travel that some people get in most cases. It doesn't replace it, but people enjoy it. You know, so uh, following Joe Rody's tweet, Bob Iger went back onto his Instagram and corrected himself and said, look, for the record, I love Expedition Everest and the whole land around it, and I never suggested otherwise. It is distinct, not nondescript, as its popularity suggests. You know, overall... Bob Iger, you know, he's he's done a really great job for the Disney company, but I mean, there's going to be people that criticize his legacy as a Disney CEO, just as every other CEOs has been criticized. You know, there's a lot of decisions that he's made that people just don't agree with. And I don't think you're going to get to the point where when you're running a company as big as Disney that you're going to make everybody happy 100% of the time. Oh, sure. And that's what he's running into. He has a board that he has to answer to. And as far as that board goes, he's been super successful, you know, with the acquisition of Star Wars and Pixar, Marvel, Muppets, and now 20th Century Fox. When you think of all the films, if if you pull out of the equation, the Marvel and Pixar stuff there's still been some Disney animation films that have been pretty successful. But at the same time, would they have been successful without the tutelage of the Pixar team coming in? You know, so it, I mean, it's, it's going to be something that's really well documented and spoken about for years to come. And like Mm -hmm. I said, no Disney CEO is going to leave his post without some kind of controversy. And, you know, it was funny that later on he was talking about Captain Marvel, and I think he was kind of trolling himself because he realized that he said something wrong and that he kind of screwed up. And he started joking about how there was going to be Captain Marvel cruise lines and Captain Marvel lands and Captain Marvel like everything. So, <laughs> you know, I, he realizes that he offended a large portion yeah. of the audience yeah. and he was kind of trying to backtrack. And it's something that I've never seen him do before, which was an interesting move, too. Well, that's the thing. I, I don't feel like he intended to put down Expedition Everest and the area that it's in, in right. Animal Kingdom. I think he misspoke. Right. And he was trying to say that there's no sort of driving fandom behind, you know, things of the Himalayas and, you know... Everest, it's there's not a fan base there, so it's not bringing people in. And what he meant by nondescript is there's no intellectual property telling a story of this attraction where that's what they want to do. They want to bring people into stories that they already know and love and give them the chance, like Cars Land, to step into that film. And, you know, I so like we'll never have another New Orleans Square, we'll never have another you know, frontier land. That's just, you know, uh, a general impression of the American West, you know, 
it's going to be something from a film. You know, it's like if if New Orleans Square didn't exist and then Princess and the Frog came out and they decided to expand with a, an attraction or a land, it would be designed after the look of that specific version of New Orleans. It wouldn't be inspired by the actual New Orleans, you know. So yeah. I think that's what he's saying, you know, and and I it takes away a little bit from the absolute magic that Imagineering holds for me in particular, because the fact that they would, you know, create a land like Frontierland and just design all of it, you know, from top to bottom, it didn't it wasn't already pre-designed in a film. You know, I, I love Cars Land. I'm a passionate fan about Cars Land. But they already designed it in the movie. It's not like they created something new. They just made it in a physical form, right? And right. I love what they did, and they're amazingly talented, and what they brought us is, you know, one of the greatest things ever. But at the same time, I, I, I felt like, oh, well, this had already been created. They just did it in a new format and allowed us to step into it. So that that's the only thing that I kind of, find disappointing about this trend which is probably not a trend it's probably just the permanent new reality yeah i think the last originally themed stuff that we've seen in the park uh has to do with you know we talked about this when we were talking about the tropical hideaway is the society of explorers and adventurers you know and how the different parks have all these uh little easter eggs that call to the society so what if, in order to save all these attractions, we make a movie of the Society of Explorers and Adventurers? Because then, <laughs> all of a sudden, you tie in Frontierland and you tie in Big Thunder Mountain with the mining company. You tie in Harrison Hightower and the, the tower from Paris. And you tie in Phantom Manor and you tie in Expedition Everest and you tie all these original attractions into a brand new film. Do mm -hmm. you think that would solidify keeping all of that stuff? Because then anything new that comes into the film can just be incorporated into these existing lands. And now they're technically an IP. <laughs> I love that yeah. idea. I really do. It's it's an interesting idea. I don't know that it would affect anything in the parks, uh, so to speak. But I, I, like I said before, I feel like the the iconic ones that we're talking about, I feel like they're safe. You know, I really don't feel like they're going to change many of those, if any of them. I, I just don't. You know, I think what they did with the overlay for the mansion, the injection of Jack Sparrow, the injection of a few Disney characters in It's a Small World, to me, that's about as far as they're going to go. Uh, I could be wrong, and who knows? I probably will be, but... You know, I think all of this is interesting, though, because we're looking on the near horizon at two new lands coming to the Disneyland Resort. We got Star Wars Land, and then down the road, we got a Marvel expansion. Yeah. And the interesting thing about those is that unlike Pandora and Cars Land, which seem to be, you know, what they keep referring back to in these cases, we're not walking into a known place, right? A Galaxy's Edge and Batu. And the Black Spire Outpost, which is where that's set, it's not a film location. So on that level, they are bringing us something totally new, which is not based on an IP. It's not coming from a film. The only There's only pieces that are coming from an IP, namely the Millennium Falcon. 
and some of the characters that are going to be walking around. Other than that, it's just, you know, kind of brand new. And I feel like the same is going to be for Marvel because there's not like a Marvel place that they're going to be building, right? They might have certain structures that we've seen in the films, but they're going to have to find a way to weave them all together in one place, right? It's not like it's going to be Wakanda or, I don't know, Stark Tower and the buildings right next to it in New York, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think on that level, they are going to be bringing us things that are new and really creative. So that is exciting. But see, Galaxy's Edge would set the precedent for exactly what I'm talking about. Because in episode 10, and who knows, maybe even episode 9, we're going to get our first mention of Batu. Uh, is that, is that known? Like, is no, that... I'm just saying that's oh. going to happen. It's speculation <laughs> on my part, but come on, man. I was if, guessing If you want to tie it in together, they have to have some kind of movie synergy yeah. for people to know where they are. This is the first time that they're ever going backwards like that. With something I agree. I, I feel like they're going to go, they're going to mention it in episode nine. If they don't, I'll be shocked. Yeah. So, look, if that happens, then I think my idea of bringing the SEA is a good idea. We can certainly take some of the elements that, you know, are all these Easter eggs and create a movie and solidify the fact that those attractions will live on for years and years to come. Oh, yeah. okay. Meeting adjourned. <laughs> I will green light this if the Jungle Cruise movie ends up being good. Because otherwise, Ooh. the track record for movies based on attractions is very bad so far. Oh. There's only one exception to that rule. Oh. oh, you had to go and bring that up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Look, can we just be happy that you're getting Nightmare Before Christmas five months and you don't have Eddie Murphy peeking around the mansion? Yes. No, I'm very happy about that. <laughs> so can very we just happy. all be thankful? And look, no offense to Eddie Murphy. I'm just saying, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so. Right. And and thank God they never put Steve Gutenberg and uh, Kirsten Dunst into the Tower of Terror. Yes. <laughs> no, they wouldn't be there anymore. So anyway. <laughs> Well, you know, we want to hear what you guys have to say about this. You know, we'd like you to join the conversation over at podcasters.com slash 239. You can also leave us a comment on the Instagram or Facebook post. Send us a tweet. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the situation. I know by now the, the story has been floating around for about a week and a half to two weeks or so. But, you know, we wanted to talk about it because, it, I mean, it is a trend that we're seeing that these IP-based lands and attractions are coming into the parks. And it was just interesting how this all unfolded. So, you know, uh, like we've said before, we'd love to hear your thoughts, but let's try to keep it civil. We're not trying to, you know, badmouth anybody. Like, we, we just want to have a conversation about this. And, you know, we will share some of your thoughts on an upcoming episode. As always, I want to take a quick moment to thank our fairy godparents, or as they like to call themselves, the FGP Squad, because it's their monthly support via Patreon that help make these episodes of Podcateers possible. If you would like to become a member of the FGP Squad or just want a little bit more info, head on over to podcateers.com FGP. You know, this last week, one of the most interesting articles that I read was that John Lasseter is going to be leading uh, a department at Skydance Studios. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to get into the whole John Lasseter thing, but 
the fact that John Lasseter uh, was hired at Skydance, I think, sends a weird message out in Hollywood right now, right? That I, I don't know exactly how to pose these thoughts because I'm kind of conflicted. Because I think there needs to be a way for somebody to be able to make a mistake and then mm-hmm. make up for that mistake and move on with their life. But in this situation, I honestly don't even feel like that's happened fully. Like, I feel like he went away. He made one statement saying, I took some time off to reflect and I'm going to do better. And it's almost sad to say that we really won't know how this turns out for at least five to ten years. You know, when we look back on this situation and try to figure out, did he really learn his lesson or was it a mistake on Skydance's part? My thought is basically, you know, I feel like in this current world we live in, there are no second chances. You know, people are tried and convicted in public and written off. And I feel like I don't know John Lasseter. I never met him. I, you know, I don't know anybody who knows him. So I don't know him as a person, but I'm not going to judge him by hearsay and, you know, by things that I wasn't privy to. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the amount of statements that were corroborated indicate a pattern of behavior, but that's the thing. Imagine if your worst mistake was made known to the world and the world made up its mind about you. How would you feel? You know, what would you do? How could you proceed? How could you continue doing the things you love to do? What we do today makes those things impossible for some of these people. And I'm not excusing any mistakes made or bad behavior uh, perpetrated. What I'm saying is people do make mistakes. People do wrong things, but they can atone for those things and they can make their life better and they can do better, you know, if given a chance. And I feel like I'm the type of person who wants to give a person a chance instead of, you know, blackballing a person forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah, good point, because on social media, there's this canceled culture where Mm -hmm. just like what you're talking about, it's actually I've seen it not just online, but in the makeup community. I mean, there's people are just dropped left and right because of little things. But anyways, um, I wanted to touch up and say that I'm curious you know, how you had mentioned he's in the next five, ten years. What I'm curious about is, is he going to have the same numbers, you know, um, when he makes his next film or next few films? Are they going to hit the records or the numbers that he had with Pixar um, or Disney? Yeah. So that's something I'm curious about. There's I'm no pressure, John. (laughs) Yeah. Right. He's going to have to come out strong. Right. And then it's, I'm just, I'm just really curious if people are going to go see these films, you know, those who may not know who he is or may not know of his background because he's with another company. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point, Melissa, because I think there's been several town hall meetings by employees at Skydance regarding the situation, and not everybody's happy. 
You know, some people are leaving, but it's difficult to know if, like he said, that he's learned his lesson and that he's going to be better because we won't know that until five or ten years from now. But how will you know if you don't give him that chance? You know, but at the same right. time, there are people that are going to stand strong, like you said, Mel, and probably won't go see a movie. This one's a difficult one because by not going, you're not supporting John Lasseter, but by not going, you're also not supporting all these other hardworking animators. You know, yeah. so it's a collaborative field. Yeah. And I don't know. I think all the pieces are still in motion right now. That's the thing. I'm really interested to see where kind of it all lands because I, I don't condone any of the stuff that he did. But again, I, I don't know him personally. I don't know how he's like. But at yeah. the same time, if everything that he did is true, that's really horrible for all the people that went through this. So as this unfolds, I think we'll talk about it a little bit more. But, and, sure. you know, we just wanted to bring it up because it was just a really interesting move that he's just now working for another animation studio and that's not Pixar or Disney mm-hmm. animation who's he's been synonymous with for decades. Yeah. yeah. Quick question. Yeah. How many people would be above him on the list of most influential people in the world of animation? Uh, I mean, it, it depends on how you want to define influential. Because if you want to define it by iconic characters or you want to define it by money grossed in, in movie theaters or – I mean, it's it's really difficult to say. Yeah. You know, because uh, – I mean, on every one of those levels. Uh, I mean, it. I think he's one or two. I mean, he's up there <laughs> with like Walt Disney, right? Yeah. I mean, you and, can't exactly. deny it. And that's the problem yeah. that we've – gotten so many iconic characters i think we mentioned this in the last episode where does it come to the point where can you separate the artist from the art you know and anything that's been made before is it going to cheapen how you feel about it because of what happened like for me i i don't think so because i think like Mm -hmm. i said it wasn't just him that worked on it there was tons of other people that worked on these projects he was just one cog in in the machine right and he he may have been the biggest cog in the machine at the time but he was part of a team that created these characters these stories and you can't take that away from everybody else that worked on it Mm. you know so Yeah. yeah i mean if you guys have any thoughts on this as well join the conversation head on over to instagram facebook or on twitter just search for podcateers and leave us your comments we'd love to hear what you guys think about this as well um let's let's move on to to some happier stuff sure. not, not that that was a total bummer but you know we did want to talk a little bit about it because it's floating around out there and i know some of you are interested in talking about that but before we move on to any of this stuff gavin Tell us a little bit about the book you're listening to via Audible right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, guys. I'm finally in the club. Yay! Finally got on board the Audible train. You know, we, we talk about it every episode about how you can use a special little link on podcateers.com and get a special deal. Well, I finally cashed in on that deal and am listening to my very first audio book. And of course, it's a Disney book. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm listening to that big 
biography of Walt uh, by Neil Gabler called Walt Disney, The Triumph of the American Imagination. Nice. And it's amazing. It is making my commute time just fly by. It's such a cool experience. I didn't know how I would take to the audiobook thing, but 30 seconds in, I was like, oh, this is genius. Mm -hmm. I'm never leaving. This is so good. So, yeah, if you haven't done audiobooks before, give it a shot. It's such an amazing experience. I think we all like listening to things like podcasts and music and whatever. It's just another thing to listen to. And there are so many titles in every imaginable genre available from Audible. The one I'm listening to is really well produced. The The guy that reads it is just, he's got this wonderful, soothing voice that just kind of invites you in and and makes you feel like it's, you know, story time. It's great. I love it. <laughs> I'm so, happy for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of Audible now. That is nice. awesome, man. Yeah. Well, if you guys want to take advantage of your own free book with Audible, make sure to head over to audibletrial.com slash podcateers or go to podcateers.com, scroll down, click on the Audible logo. It'll take you over to Audible using our link and you'll get one free book along with a 30-day free trial. If you decide that Audible is not for you, which you probably won't because it's super cool, within that 30 days, you can cancel and that free book that you get is yours to keep. After that, there's a small monthly fee and you get one credit or three credits, whatever you sign up for. And I mean, I've been on this Audible kick for a long time time yeah and i have all sorts of books you know i've gone through creativity inc by ed catmull the pixar touch by david price um and and not just that i mean they have like doctor who books i i listened to ender's game uh the devil in white city by eric larson how to be like walt by pat williams not one of my favorite walt books but it was still okay to listen to uh they have stuff by comedians like jim gaffigan and tina fey i mean the list is endless they have an amazing selection give it a shot podcateers.com scroll down click on the audible logo or go to audibletrial.com slash podcateers so you won't regret it yeah (laughs) yeah i love it i love it hey speaking of cool stuff that we're doing gavin talk a little bit about what you're doing on your instagram with the orangewood foundation oh okay i decided this year that i wanted to help give back to my new community, which is here in Orange County, California. And we did a little searching and we found an organization that is headquartered in Santa Ana called Orangewood Foundation. And what they do is they help give former foster kids a leg up as they enter the world. You know, foster children often have very unstable upbringings and unfortunately go from house to house sometimes separated from siblings you know there's a lot of things that occur in a foster kid's life that give them disadvantages as they become adults and enter the world and what this foundation does is it seeks to give that get them on the same playing field as everybody else through education through counseling through Um, all kinds of assistance programs that they have. It's a really neat um, organization. You can look them up online and, you know, they're very transparent about what they do. So, long story short, I decided that I would 
support this foundation throughout this year and give a portion of each of my sales in my Etsy shop to Orangewood Foundation. So if you buy anything from me this year, or if you, if anybody you knows is interested in the Disney art that I create and they make a purchase, some of that money will go to support this awesome foundation. If you want to learn a little bit more about them, we'll make it easy for you. Just head over to pocketeers.com slash 239 and we'll have a link to their website in the blog post. That's amazing. Right on, man. I love it. And I mean, anybody that purchases some of that art that you're creating, they're getting some quality stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, some thanks. quality stuff. So I'm looking trying forward to, do to that. Some, trying to do some new exciting things this year. So hopefully uh, we'll have a lot more interesting things to purchase. Yeah, that is sweet. so cool. I remember seeing it on Instagram when you had posted it for the first time. I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah, you know? I love and it. I, thanks. Knowing that it's next to us, I didn't know that was here. So I learned something mm-hmm. new. Yeah. Right on. Isn't it weird? Like, you've lived here for so long, and sometimes you don't even know what's around you. Yeah. Like, I've heard people tell me that sometimes the best thing is to just be a tourist in your own city. And mm-hmm. I've done it a couple of times, and I found some really awesome places to visit. But, like, this is one <laughs> of those things that also makes you feel good. Right? So yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so speaking of new things and things that make you feel good, we have an announcement about our next Team Boat Willy event. And we're Doo-doo. super excited because, you know, the last couple of years as we kind of got our footing into the door as Team Boat Willy and started trying to figure out what we wanted to do, we've done things with the Chalk Walk because, quite frankly, it's an awesome organization. Plus, it's at Disneyland, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. And we've also done the Walk for Hope for City of Hope. One, because I work there and because their mission is also awesome trying to get rid of cancer trying to get rid of diabetes it's it's a noble cause and i like i said before just to be transparent i do work there but uh, i do believe in their mission and which is why you know we've uh done events with city of hope before but this year we're adding something else to our to our team boat willie a list of events and that is that in april we will be doing the autism walk yeah i am so excited i know i'm yeah. super excited uh i know a lot of our friends and a lot of people in our family have done the autism walk before it's a great organization with a great uh, bunch of people a lot of people in the disney community have also done this walk before so i'm excited to be able to help out another organization We're going to start preparing all the stuff that needs to happen, create our team page. As soon as we have that stuff available, you know, we're going to put that out there for all of you guys to help us out. This time, you know, we're going to do our best to give you more information about how you can donate, how you can join the team for all of the events that we do a lot sooner than we have in the past. And hopefully that helps us spread the word, get some more donations for the organization that we're trying to help out and build up Team Boat Willie. I know that there's a lot of you out there that have asked how you can help and have suggested a lot of other organizations. Well, this is the first step. You know, I think we're going to be doing a lot more stuff as Team Boat Willie. We're going to be doing some more volunteer work. And this, like I said, this is the first step. We're super excited about it. So Team Boat Willie, 
Team yeah. Boat. Team hey. Boat. Team really. Boat. Team really. Boat. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so more information on that is going to be coming soon. So stay tuned. Yes. Okay. So um, let's go back to the parks. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of finding little things. In this case, it's a big thing. <laughs> and by big, we're talking monorail. Monorail big. Nice. Ooh, is there a new monorail green? <laughs> no. Oh. But there's a familiar face on monorail blue that I had just seen recently. And um, you might know him. Cute little mouse by the name of Mickey. <laughs> what? His face is all over the monorail. More stickers? Nice. Well, hey, you know what? <laughs> They're very nice looking. Oh, are they? Are. they? Yeah, okay. no, They're for real, they are. Stickers. Um, oh. Each cabin actually has a different Mickey in the same size. Oh. So he takes over the monorail, which is really, really sweet. Oh, that's cool. Is it like Mickey through the years, like different versions no, of Mickey? No, it's the current oh, okay. Mickey, the new cartoon short. Oh, the new one. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. So it okay. actually, Very cool. it's really, really cool to see this because you know how you mentioned town, downtown Disney with the banners? Mm-hmm. It matches mm-hmm. So nice. Yeah. Ah, nice. It's really, really cool. That's awesome. So has he only been spotted on monorail blue so far? So far. I haven't seen anything yet. Um, I've been okay. keeping an eye out. I've been, I'm very fortunate to take Disneyland drive to work and home. Mm. So I try nice. to see anything that's new. And so when I saw this, yes, I screamed cause I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is cool. I haven't been to the parks, so it's like, yay, I get to see something nice. different. <laughs> That's funny. And everybody around Very you was cool. like, oh, my God, what's wrong with her? Oh, yeah. Who's that crazy lady? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Super weird that they didn't start with monorail red, considering that's the closest color to Mickey. You know what? I was wondering yeah. if they're going to put Minnie on there. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. It's, I, I, we'll see. I mean, yeah. Look, they've surprised us with the stickers that end up on the monorails before. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so totally. That's all I'm gonna say. But I'm I'm excited <laughs> to see these. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to take a picture this week, and yeah. we'll put it up on the Instagram account. In case you guys aren't following us, just search for Podketeers, P-O-D-K-E-T-E-E-R-S, and uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be really cool. And then mm-hmm. you can scream in the background, just be like, ah. It's Mickey and Minnie. Squeak. <laughs> Squeak. <laughs> awesome. Well, considering you brought us to Tomorrowland and you were talking about the monorail, uh, mm-hmm. I guess that's the best way to set up our Tomorrowland piece for this episode. Sweet. It's a, that's I like a, it. That's, a, that's what we in the business call a transition, guys. <laughs> nice. That's a segue. Professional segue. to be exact. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> So, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, going forward, we are going to work on having a little piece of history, a little storytelling about a land, an attraction, a person involved in the Disney company so far. And this month, we're going to be concentrating on Tomorrowland. So, in this episode, we're going to concentrate primarily on Tomorrowland and space and how the two are correlated. Tomorrowland is really one of the most interesting lands at the Disneyland Resort because its purpose was to showcase the possibilities of what man could invent and produce in an effort to make our lives easier. As of this episode, 
Five other versions of Tomorrowland exist in Disney parks around the world, but for now, we're only going to concentrate on Tomorrowland here at Disneyland in Anaheim. Uh, in this part of this ongoing series, I won't be talking a lot about the attractions themselves. I'll mainly talk about how Walt Disney would use what was familiar to him to share his enthusiasm and prepare people for what was eventually to come. To get things started, uh, it would be no secret for me to say that Walt Disney was a futurist. And little tidbit, you know those... Uh, those like personality tests, the uh, Myers Briggs, and like the Strength mm -hmm. Finder things that people do at work. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. We did one of those last year, and my top one, futuristic. I'm just saying. Nice. Just, nice. just wanted to throw that out there. So, anyway. So, yeah, so Walt was always looking for ways to leverage te the technology that he had available to him to make things better. But he was also interested in ways that he and his team could invent things to do the things that he wanted. You know, that's where animatronics came from. And that's where all these amazing things we see in the park came from. So almost a century prior, Jules Verne wrote From the Earth to the Moon. And many of the ideas and inventions that came from that book would go on to resonate in the minds of people around the world for decades, whether through direct reading of this piece of literature or through other writings, stories, and films that spawned from it. Uh, in the mid-1950s, there was a concentrated effort by the United States to surpass the Soviet Union's Sputnik interstellar program. This was kind of known as a space race uh, to many people in that era. And it led to huge advancements in the exploration of space and in associated fields like astrology and meteorology. Now, for most people, it's kind of human nature to be afraid of the unknown, right? Oh, yeah. Sure. So Absolutely. Walt was kind of the exception, like many people can be. You know, he was curious and he just loved this type of stuff. And so his interest and belief in what the future could become was super strong. And he wanted to share that with everyone. And he had the perfect platform to do it. Television. Nice. Since Walt was all about telling stories, he used those stories to help others see his own vision. And nothing was clearer than when he started talking about the creation of Disneyland through his weekly television show, aptly called Disneyland. <laughs> right. So now he would do the same thing for space exploration. Through the use of his Disneyland series, Walt would give us our first glance at what Tomorrowland was supposed to represent. Now, keep in mind that this wasn't the first time that Walt would use a medium that he was familiar with to promote something like this. His wartime shorts are an example of that, but we'll get into those in a future episode. So with the help of his animators and Imagineers, three shows were created and dedicated to space exploration, uh, and they were called Man in Space, Man and the Moon, and Mars and Beyond. Disney legend and one of Walt's nine old men, Ward Kimball, directed and produced these series for Walt. So it was super cool kind of just having him narrate and like walk us through this story. Uh, the first series, Man in Space, was watched by an estimated 42 million viewers. Oh my God. I know. And let me try That's to give impressive. you some context, okay? One statistic that I read stated that just around 30 million households 
had a television. <laughs> Whoa. That's yeah. so cool. So once you account for families of three, families of four, families of five, and all the neighbors that didn't have TVs, that's a huge number, right? It's a huge mm-hmm. jump from 30 million households with a television to 42 million viewers. So yeah. I just thought that was a really cool statistic. The series itself really helped show people that space exploration was interesting, but it also helped illustrate how much of the process we would have to go through in order to get there. Uh, Remember that this was during the space race, so not only was the show entertaining, I would speculate that many Americans were also interested in how the U.S. would beat the Soviet Union when it came to space exploring. One thing that was criticized, though, was the involvement of Werner von Braun. Werner von Braun was the leading scientist in the development of rocket technology, including one of the rockets used in World War II by the Germans, and that was the V-2 combat rocket. He was also a registered member of the Nazi party, but there is some speculation about whether he was loyal because he had stated that he was forced into developing rocket technology for the war. And during that development, he kind of never lost sight of what he actually wanted to do, and that was to eventually put a man into space. In 1945, he would surrender to U.S. troops and was brought back to the United States and served as part of a secret program of the Joint Intelligent Objectives Agency called Operation Paperclip, whose main purpose was to gain an advantage over the Soviet Union. It worked. This is almost sounding a little plus ultra-y. Isn't it, though? <laughs> a little bit. And I, I right? love that. I yeah. love that. <laughs> Uh, So in 1954, Walt visited NACA, uh, which was the predecessor to NASA. NACA stands for the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics uh, in Alabama, where Von Braun was now the chief of the Guided Missile Development Operation Division at at Army Ballistic Missile Agency at Redstone Arsenal Army Post. Try saying that or fitting that on a business card. (laughs) <laughs> that is one of the longest titles I've ever seen. Yep. <laughs> but oh, nonetheless, wow. <laughs> yeah, but nonetheless, <laughs> he was working uh, with the U.S. Army on developing new technology. Uh, so Walt and Von Braun connected and he became involved in the creation of this series that Walt was putting together for his Disneyland show. And Von Braun believed that becoming involved with Walt would harbor greater public interest in the future of the space program. So he began working with him and the studio as a technical director. And he even appeared in the films, you know, that that are around today. Uh, Overall, they did a really, really great job of balancing knowledge and entertainment to present the history of rockets and the journey of putting a man into space. Man in Space was even nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary Short, which was super cool to know. And the two episodes that followed, Man and the Moon and Mars and Beyond, are frequently screened at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum to this day. So it's really cool that these films that appeared in the 50s may have just inspired a lot of the scientists and a lot of, you know, the the development of what we know as general technology now. You know, so I thought that was really cool. 
Four months after the first episode in the series aired, Disneyland was finally opened and the public had their first experiences in Tomorrowland. On that day, Walt dedicated the land by saying, Tomorrowland is a vista into a world of wondrous ideas signifying man's achievements, a step into the future with predictions of constructed things to come. Tomorrow offers new frontiers in science, adventure, and ideals. The Atomic Age, the challenge of outer space, and the hope for a peaceful, unified world. And then we got Tomorrowland. (laughs) (laughs) It was very different in those early days, though. It was. Uh, Tomorrowland 1.0, you know, for a land that was supposed to bring us uh, a look into 1986, yeah. I think it was okay for its time. Uh, you know, over the course of the series, I think we'll talk a little bit more about the attractions and some of the things people talk about that they don't necessarily like and how it's fallen behind. And that's really what the series is going to allow us to do. These little deep dives into everything that we love about Disney parks and the films and the company. And uh, I think it's going to be super fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, okay. So actually I've got a couple of questions, follow-up questions about this topic here. Yeah. It, It seems to me like the, one of the initial core concepts of Tomorrowland was space exploration. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the original, weenie of the land which was the moonliner and for those of you guys don't know what i mean by weenie go look it up i'm not being crude uh you know and i i feel like this concept has kind of been lost in the tomorrowland of today and i'm wondering why that has completely been abandoned and i and i wonder if it's because the idea of space exploration has become passe or not that interesting anymore because we don't seem to be at competition with anybody like the Soviet Union back during the Cold War. And But I, I am a science fiction guy, as you guys will learn in a couple of episodes. And I, I long for more of that. I think space exploration is totally fascinating. And I think a lot of what we're doing today, you know, with with entities like SpaceX, but even NASA and, you know, other space programs around the world, really exciting stuff is happening. And I, I, I wish more of that was evident in Tomorrowland. And I just don't feel like it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I thought a lot of those same things while I was doing the research for the episode. You know, NASA is one of those organizations that it, it's a government funded agency. Right. And so if there was any tie in to Disney before, it was because it was just partnering with the government to do something, which Walt Disney had already done, you know, for the war films that I briefly mentioned. SpaceX is a private company. And so I think Elon Musk really wants to put something together where he could be the first and not really, not really. Uh, work with anybody else to do what he wants to do because he wants to be known as the guy that did it Mm -hmm. right yeah there are major companies that that will work with the disney company and that will partner with the disney company we've seen this on many levels from starbucks to honda to twa monsanto you know is Yeah. yeah you know another company that early on was sponsoring stuff in tomorrowland but you know when i started thinking about what you asked about why we don't see this honestly i think it's because technology has never moved faster 
when you think about the new technology that was around in the 50s, it had taken the development of, let's say, the car. You know, it mm-hmm. was over the course of 30, 40, 50 years that the vehicles that we know as vehicles today really made it out onto the roads. But now when you think of something like a cell phone, think of how far cell phones have come in five years. Mm-hmm. You know, think of what we can do in just a decade that we couldn't do before. And so I think the changing of technology is coming at such a rapid pace these days that Disneyland is in a bind when it comes to Tomorrowland because I don't think they really know what they want to do with the land anymore because it was meant for space exploration. But we've been to space, and I think we've reached the limit of what we can do in space until we can go further and collect more information from what our current limit is. And Mm -hmm. when guys like Elon Musk present the opportunity to create new vessels to go into space and present new opportunities for people that aren't astronauts to go into space. You know, that I think is something that Disney would want to do, but with the creation of an attraction come years of development. And by the Mm -hmm. time those years of development happen, we would already be leaps and bounds past what they would be presenting. And I think overall, that's one of the biggest problems with Tomorrowland. Yeah, but I feel like you can you can do something from the futurist perspective that is out there far enough to at least give you several decades. You know, I feel like, you know, there are things that were created for Epcot, you know, one of the consulting people that was brought in to design the future world of Epcot was Walt's friend and fellow futurist Ray Bradbury. Right. Okay. And so many of the concepts that are in just the spaceship Earth attraction alone are still way out in the future. You know, there are scenes of terraforming other planets and, you know, living in colonies on other planets, which is so far in our future that we still can't even really imagine that yet, right? So I feel like it can be done, and it would be really cool if maybe they brought in a contemporary futurist like Elon Musk to help them conceptualize such a, a attraction that would be really future looking you know not so tied to oh hey we're about to discover this new thing that's going to open up a new world but thinking 10 steps ahead like we're miles and miles away from this so let's create something that's way out there you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah i think it can be done i think there are challenges to that as always you know the future is always approaching and it can become dated and hokey real quick so it's a challenge, and I think that's a challenge we're all going to take on in a couple episodes. So we'll yeah. see what we come up with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one interesting thing that you brought up was what's at Epcot, right? Mm-hmm. And one thing I'm fearful for is part of what they're not doing at Tomorrowland is partially because what they already have at Epcot. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we'll eventually get into talking about Epcot, but that was a prototype community of the future. And so... It's in the name already, (laughs) you know, so it was already supposed to be a futuristic view of everything that that's around us. Now, I I do agree if they brought somebody like Elon Musk in, I think it would be super cool. 
at the same time, I wonder if one of the fears that they have is that let's say they were to put in like a super nerdy exhibit, right? Like because of things like uh, Ant-Man, for instance, let's, let's bring up Ant-Man. Ant-Man touches on a lot of scientific theories and not all of them are 100% accurate in the films because it's a film. It's not supposed to be that accurate, but Mm -hmm. Marvel does a really good job of getting as close to there as possible, right? Or they weave it into the story. So what if we had an exhibit of like the quantum realm, you know, but it was somehow themed with these characters that we know and it's still about the future, but they're able to tie in these IPs that they want to tie into everything now, you know, because that right. I, even though in the films it's technically happening now, it is a futuristic approach to thinking. And sure. it's not something that we necessarily have now, but is something we could have in the future. Right. Yeah. Uh, first of all, they're not going to put a Marvel attraction in Tomorrowland. Sorry, dude. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> I, I think that that is cool. I fear that there there would be, um, you know, a lot of people might think it's just a rehashing of Adventure Through Inner Space, which is basically a journey into the quantum realm. Uh, not this, not quite the same fantasy concept that they come up with in Ant-Man, but, you know, it it could be seen as just a rehashing. I, I see what you're saying, though. I feel like it's so cutting edge or even beyond cutting edge that even though it's set now it does seem completely futuristic right and a lot of the marvel stuff is that way which i think that's part of the exciting thing about the marvel expansion i think we're going to get a lot of futuristic feeling stuff over there and i you know that's what really excites me yeah i mean that or they can just make tomorrowland some kind of museum to space exploration yeah, I mean, I think that could, there could be an attraction there that could be interesting. Like Soren, you know, kind of has all yeah. that aviation history in it, yeah. you know, but it ends with a really neat attraction. Yeah. I feel like they could do something like that with space exploration for sure. Well, I mean, I'd love to hear what people have to say about that and, Heck yeah. you know, mm-hmm. what they would want to see in Tomorrowland. So if you guys have any ideas or you guys want to share your thoughts with us, head on over to podcasters.com slash 239 and leave a comment in the blog post for the episode. Remember that you can also send us a message on Instagram, on Facebook, or even on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. We'd love to hear your thoughts and share them in an upcoming episode. All of these episodes end up on the YouTube channel. So if for some reason you don't like listening through a podcast app, you can also listen on YouTube. Hit that like button, subscribe button, tell your friends. And uh, that's it. We hope you guys enjoyed this first little portion of Tomorrowland and how it's connected to space. Next week, we'll be talking about Space Mountain. Nice. That's going to be fun. I love it. I know. So I'm looking forward to that. I just learned a lot right now, seriously. And <laughs> you educated her for real. Because education, I Gavin. This is the coolest part, <laughs> and this is why I love what we're gonna do. Because I'm gonna learn something new. So I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's so much rich history when it comes to everything in the parks that I think sometimes people forget that the creation of the parks isn't just what happens at WDI. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it spans everywhere. And those ideas, the people involved, 
And I think there's a lot of unsung heroes at Imagineering that we just never hear about. I think there's those that mm-hmm. are in the that face the public and uh, you know I think it's it's our our chance to pay an homage to all the people that don't necessarily get that type of attention. Yeah. Yeah. And uh that's it. That that's going to wrap it up. I'm I'm so excited. I don't even know how to like <laughs> what what to say, guys. I'm just so like, excited about everything that's coming in 2019 and what we're bringing to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So. And I hope people tell us that they're excited. And, yeah. you know, if anybody out there has, you know, requests like, hey, I want you guys to do a series on this, that or the other. Let us know. Yeah. You know, nothing yeah. set in stone. We have this idea, this map of, you know, kind of a stroll through the parks and we'll be revisiting areas over the years. And it's, you know, but it's open ended. We want to entertain you guys. So tell us what entertains you. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love when everybody can become involved in that process. So, all right, that's it. Until next week, everyone, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Major luck. Bye.